preach the word in season preach the word out of season preach the word with great patience and instruction preach with patience preach with patience and instruction The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Today, uh, we're going to take a short break from our study in First Peter, and uh, we'll be taking a look at Psalm 91, uh, Psalm 91, so you can go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 91. Uh, this was actually a, a psalm that I was able to read with our brother uh, Kevin uh, just this morning, and um, wanted to encourage his heart and encourage our hearts as well as we come before uh, the Lord that we take shelter in. This is the God that we trust in, a God who's been faithful to us. Let's take a look at Psalm 91 together. Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, To guard you in all your ways, they will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, uh, this afternoon, as we always do every time we approach your word, acknowledging that we need your help to understand what's written here. Now, Father, that we come before you, Lord, the author of this book, uh, to understand, and not only to understand, but to apply these truths into our lives. Now, Father, I pray that you would help us to behold wonderful things in your word, and uh, that you would use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 91. It's a, it's a beautiful psalm, and I just want to start by giving you an overview of this uh, precious psalm. Uh, just to look at some of the features that are given in it, uh, some of the features of this psalm. Listen to the titles that are used to refer to God. In verse 1, God is referred to as the Most High. It's the, the word Elyon, uh, the one who is sovereign, the one who is master, who has lordship, who has authority over all the universe and over every individual. Uh, Verse 1, he's also called the Almighty. Uh, Some of us uh, have heard that term, El Shaddai. It means the one who's all-powerful, omnipotent. He's capable of doing anything. 
God is called the Lord in verse 2, and that's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God. And God is called my God also in verse 2. It's the the word Elohim, the, the title that was used of God as creator. He's the supreme and the only God. And the psalmist makes it personal and says that this God, the creator of the ends of the earth, is my God. I am personally related to this God. And listen to the pictures or illustrations that are used of God. In verse 1, he's called the shelter. He's a protection from the elements. We abide under his shadow, verse 1, which means he's above us and he protects us. In verse 3, uh, verse 2 and 4, actually three times, 2, 4, and 9, he's called our refuge, a safety from the enemy. He's our fortress in verse 2, a protection from military attack. In uh, uh, also, in verse 4, he's like a protective bird who defends us from the pe- predators. He, he covers us with his wings and his pinions. Verse 4, he's a shield. Verse 4, he's a bulwark. Verse 16, he's our salvation. He rescues us. And then listen to the kinds of dangers that God rescues believers from. The snare of the trapper, the deadly pestilence, the terror by night, the arrow by day, the pestilence in the dark, destruction at noon, recompense of the wicked, evil, the plague, striking your foot against a stone. I mean, it just goes on and on, the dangers that this God saves us from. And this psalm is very broad. It speaks about all the kinds of dangers, toils, and snares. Reminds me of that line from uh, Amazing Grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And listen to the ways that God protects us. In verse 3 and 14, he delivers us. Verse 4, he covers us. Verse 11, he even gives his angels charge concerning us. Verse 14, he sets us securely on high. Verse 15, he answers our prayer. And verse 16, he satisfies us with long life. He lets us see his salvation. And this is the God that you've come to trust in if you're a believer. And there may be no better psalm to turn to if you feel fearful, if you've uh, experienced dangerous trolls and Trials in your own life, the snares of the enemy. This is that, that one-size-fits-all kind of a psalm. This is a psalm that you can turn to and find hope in this psalm. And sadly, uh, we've seen many false teachers use a psalm like this and twist it out of its context and actually try to make it say more than what it does say. I've actually heard a, a false teacher say that, you know, you can look to the psalm as, you know, God's a, a promise that you will never face any kind of affliction ever in your life. Is that how we're to read the psalm? Is is this a psalm that says you will never experience any kind of danger? No disease, no pestilence. The believers are protected from every affliction. That would be to to rip Psalm 91 out of its biblical context. And maybe that might be how you've read this psalm before. Maybe you looked at Psalm 91 and said, hey, isn't this a promise that I'll never face any kind of tragedy in my life? But that's not what Psalm 91 is saying. First of all, it wouldn't make sense of what we know historically. Many believers who have trusted in God and made God their dwelling place still suffered greatly. Amen? (laughs) We have a whole book of the Bible dedicated to one such believer. You know, Job 1 verse 1, there was a a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And Job faced all kinds of afflictions in his life, all kinds of dangers, succumbed to those things. You learn about Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 23 where Paul says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine. Why did he say that? You know, like, if you're feeling like it's a hard day, you're kind of depressed, you know, just drink a little wine, Timothy. Is that what Paul's saying? No. <laughs> wine, wine was used as a medicinal, had a medicinal effect, would calm his stomach for the sake of your stomach and frequent ailments, Paul says. 
Why did Timothy experience frequent ailments? Was it because Timothy didn't have enough faith? You know, he didn't know where the tent was, where he could go and, uh, you know, get knocked out and slain in the spirit and, you know, rise up and have no affliction in his stomach anymore. No, that's not the case at all. It was because God had ordained for Timothy to suffer some of these afflictions. It wasn't because he didn't have faith. Second Timothy 4.20, Paul says, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. I mean, what's the problem there? Did, you know, Paul kind of run out of the, the healing juice? Like, what, what happened? Couldn't he just pray over him and everything just turns better? I mean, that's, that's not what we have in Scripture. Believers have suffered greatly. And out of all believers, there's not one of them who has made it until the present day from the biblical times. Because everyone has eventually died. As believers, we still face tragedy. We still face the horrendous effects of the, the fall, the curse on all humanity. Something will eventually take us out. So it's not true historically. Number two, it's also not true contextually. It's not true to say that believers never experience disaster, disease, or death. It doesn't make sense of the, the context of the psalm. Uh, actually, if you uh, take a look at the psalms, the, the psalms uh, were actually uh, contained and categorized into five sections. There's five books of the psalms, and each of the ends of these sections uh, ends with a, a word of praise to God and an amen. Actually, you find uh, uh, the book of uh, the Psalms divided into Psalms 1 through 41, 42 to 72, 73 to 89, 90 to 106, and 107 to 150. You can rewind the tape and get that if you're interested. But the fourth book, and you might find it in your Bibles as well, but in the fourth book of the Psalm, it starts out with Psalm 90, and it goes all the way to Psalm 106. And the first Psalm that would have greeted you as you entered into this fourth book of the Psalms was Psalm 90. Psalm 90 was a a psalm authored by Moses. It speaks about the brevity of man's life, which is exactly what Moses would have experienced as he walked through the wilderness. I mean, thousands upon thousands of Israelites dying in the wilderness. If you look back at Psalm 90 in verse 3, look at what it says here. It says, you turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men. By some estimates, uh, two million Israelites perished in 40 years in the wilderness. That's roughly 140 funerals every day. Moses was seeing scores and scores of Israelites perish in the wilderness. And he says, you turn man back into dust. That's what happens. We will eventually go back to the dust, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's where we get it from. But listen to what Moses says in verse 1. Even though thousands are dying, look at what he says in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Even though we die, Father, you have been where we found our home. So dying in the wilderness doesn't mean that God is not your dwelling place. And that's a good thing to remember because Psalm 91 opens up with the same kind of truth about God. Look what it says in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God has been our dwelling place. God has been our dwelling place whether we live or in Psalm 90, whether we die. And as you entered into this fourth book of the Psalms, you would have been confronted with both of these parallel truths. Psalm 90 speaks about all those who died in the wilderness. Psalm 91 speaks about all those who God has delivered. So, so this same God delivers and also receives life back to himself. Same God, 
Same context, what we find in Psalm 90 and 91. As you open up this fourth book of the Psalms, it's found right there within the context. Also, uh, to say that we'll never experience any dangers in our life doesn't make sense of what we know from the New Testament. Uh, Flip over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. What we find over in Matthew chapter 4 is Jesus in the wilderness, uh, which is where Israel found themselves in chapter 90 of uh, the book of Psalms was written about that period of time in the wilderness. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, which reminds us of the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness. And at the end of these 40 days, 40 days of fasting, Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt the provision of his father. Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt the protection of his father. And also tries to get Jesus to doubt the the promotion that would come to him from the father. And Satan quotes from scripture in order to try to get Jesus to follow along with him in his logic, right? And guess which section of scripture Satan quotes from? Psalm 91. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Sound familiar? That's what we just read in Psalm 91. That this is what God does. That God does bear us up. That God does uh, uh, allow us not to strike our foot against a stone. And Satan uses Psalm 91 to say, hey, Jesus, you you shouldn't be worried about anything because of Psalm 91. You'll never experience any kind of disaster or trial in your life. But that's not how that psalm was to be understood. That's not how it's to be understood. If God is really a provider, protector, Satan is saying, why would God allow anything to happen to you? So how did this scripture apply to Jesus? As we know from Isaiah 53, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus would later be betrayed by even his own friends into the hands of sinful men. And right now in the wilderness, Jesus is weak. He's hungry. He's suffering from fatigue, from thirst. And later on, he will even experience death even as the Son of God will experience death. So how did Psalm 91 apply to Jesus? I think Matthew provides us with the the answer to that question. Look back at chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you know what that says? That everything that happened in Jesus' life, that everything that he experienced, he experienced by the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit who led him to be tempted. Everything that he endured, he endured by the will of God. We actually find another example of this over in uh, Matthew 26, 39, where Jesus is experiencing another time of testing. This time it's in the, the garden. Matthew 26, verse 39 says, He went a little beyond them, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So so what Jesus trusted in and lived his life by was the will of God. It was by the will of God that he was tempted. It was by the will of God that he experienced hunger and thirst. It was by the will of God that he even suffered and died. It was not as he willed, but as God willed. What is that saying? That anything that happens to you in your life is only by the will of God. And that every danger that you're spared from, that is also by whose will? It's by the will of God. So does God protect us from danger and pestilence? Absolutely. Does God also receive life back to himself? Absolutely. God does both. 
And Jesus provides us with the answer to Psalm 91. It's not as I will, but as you will, O God. And we can rest in confidence that whatever affliction we suffer, it's by the will of a good God who judges righteously. Jesus, for his entire life, dwelt under the shadow of the Almighty. So Jesus was protected from Herod and the slaughtering of the innocent babies at two years old and younger in Bethlehem. Remember that? Jesus was spared by that. Spared that. How? By the will of God. Jesus was able to sleep in the middle of a storm and trust in God, even though the, the water was filling the boat. How did he do that? Because he dwelt under the shadow of the Almighty. Jesus was able to walk into a hostile crowd in Nazareth and that tried to toss him over a cliff, and he was able to make his way through the crowd. How did he do that? Because he trusted in God. He dwelt under the shadow of the Almighty. He had found his shelter in God. But we also find that Jesus hungered and thirsted in the wilderness, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and that ultimately he submitted himself to death, even the death on the cross. And why did he do that? Because he was under the shadow of the Almighty. Same God. Same God. And BBC, I want you to know that Psalm 91 does not promise you that you will never experience danger, disease, disaster, or even death. That's not a promise from Psalm 91. But this psalm does remind us that every time that we've ever been spared, as, as I look back over my life, one song used to say, and I, and I think things over, I can truly say that I've been blessed. I've got a testimony. I can look back over my life and see all the times that God has spared me. And it's God's hand every time. It's because I'm under the shadow of the Almighty. And when that time comes that we do end our lives in death, we're still under that same shadow. Do you understand that? Under the same almighty hand of God. God is the same God regardless of what the circumstances are. And this psalm reminds us that we can trust in God in any circumstance. We don't need to find another shelter. We've already found our shelter. A lot of uh, this past year, we've heard a lot about sheltering in place. And my question has always been, in what shelter and in what place? (laughs) Our shelter needs to be found in our God, right? That's where we find our refuge. We need to abide in him, find in him our shelter. The same concept, like I said, is mentioned in Psalm 90, 90 and verse 1, that, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And if I'm supposed to make God my dwelling place, the question is this, how do I do that? Like, like where, where do I find God to make sure that I'm found in him? Like, like is there some kind of GPS, a map to find my way to, to this dwelling place in God? How do I know that God is my dwelling place? I believe Psalm also gives us the, the Psalms also gives us an answer to this. Psalm 1 verse 2, it says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It's through trust. It's through trusting in God that God becomes our shelter and our hiding place. Uh, Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9, it says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. To take refuge in the Lord means that I'm finding in him a shelter. I'm trusting in him. That's how I take my refuge in God. How do I find God as my shelter, as my dwelling place? I trust in him. I place my faith in him. That's how God becomes my shelter, my shadow to abide underneath. God is our dwelling place. And that's what we find in the New Testament as well. In uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, I may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We today, as believers, are found in Christ. And how does that happen? On the basis of faith. 
How many times do, does Paul open up his letters you know, to, the, to this church that's in Christ, to that church that's in Christ? We're found in Christ when we trust in him. When we place our faith, we belong to God. We're, we're making our shelter in God. And that's what we find over in Psalm 91. You can flip back there. Just take a look at the, the movements through the psalm, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the psalmist makes this personal declaration of praise. He uses the words I and my to speak of his personal trust in God. In uh, 91, in, in verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress. So it's this personal uh, relationship that he has with him. It's my personal declaration of praise in God. In verses 3 to 13, uh, we find a promise of God's personal protection. Uh, if you look at verse 3, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. It's this personal protection that he's received from God. He's the one who's delivered you. And then in verses 14 to 16, there's a personal pronouncement from God. And these words come from God himself, where God speaks directly and says, uh, he will call upon me and I will answer him. God takes over the psalm and says, I'm going to have a word to say. And he actually closes out the psalm. So that's how we're going to follow uh, through the psalm, this personal declaration of praise, one and two, the promise of personal protection, through the 13, and then uh, the personal pronouncement of protection from God himself in verses 14 to 16. So let's take a look at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, the, the psalmist declares what he has personally found to be true. What has he found to be true about God? Verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God is the dwelling place for those who seek shelter in him. And the idea is that God himself is the covering that we find shelter in. He's personally our protection. In uh, verse 1 again, he says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So the, the idea is that, you know, God finds a shelter out there somewhere that's, you know, will cover you for a while. God says, I myself am your shelter. Like, like this is where you find shelter. You find your shelter in me. Verse 2, the Lord is my refuge and my stronghold. You know, he doesn't just provide us with a refuge and a stronghold. I mean, that would be nice. But he says, I am your refuge and stronghold. He's the one that, that personally protects us. So do you realize that God himself is covering you? That, that, that he's your lodging place? And what should you take away from that? There's no greater security that you're going to find. Because you're in God himself. God, the most high, the almighty, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He himself says, I am your security. And there's also no greater intimacy that you could find. How, how much closer could you get to God than being in him? You can't get any closer than this. There's no greater intimacy. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I'll never leave you. And for the believer, that's true. Why? Because we're actually in him. And everywhere the God is, we are in that sense. Like, like God is, I'm, I'm in him. Like, I, I can't get away from him. Like, he covers me. He's protecting me. He's my personal protection. And uh, verse 2, as I mentioned earlier, the, the psalmist makes use of the, the first person singular pronoun. He says, my refuge, my fortress, my God. And the, the psalmist here is saying that, you know, that you're not an afterthought in the mind of God. It's not like, uh, you know, you just kind of stumbled your way into God and God says, well, I guess since you're here, I'll let you stay. You know, that's not what it's like. It's, it's God is saying, no, that, that, that I am your refuge. Like personally, I'm your refuge. This home is meant for you. It's the, again, the, the sovereignty of God uh, reminds us of some of these things as we look in scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5, God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Like, like there was this kind of personal 
relationship that I had with you even before you knew it. Like you were destined to be in relationship with me. In Psalm 139, verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God says, even before you were formed, I, I, I knew you. You're already in the book. Galatians 1.15, Paul says, God set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. You were intended to be found in God. God says, no, no, this, this poem is meant for you. I, I'm personally meant for you. And it's spoken of here in the singular. I'm singularly your refuge. God is my home. This is the God that I trust in. He's my fortress. And that's what the believer can say. This, is, this belongs to me. Also, we find this... Uh, Promise of personal protection. Look at verses 3 to 14. And I say personal protection again because there's these uh, uh, singular pronouns that are used. You know, like, uh, again, in, in English, we can say the word you and refer to a group. You know, I'm speaking to all of you, right? You know, if I just say you. Or I could also say something like, like, like you, you know, Dean, or you, Matt, or, you know, you, Riley. You know, I could be speaking of you specifically. You know, the word you can be used for both. And what we find here in, uh, in uh, the, the psalm before us is the you is actually in the singular. It's, it's no, I'm not just talking to the group. I'm speaking, I'm kind of like singling you out, like particularly speaking to you. When you hear the psalm, you should like have your name placed in it. I'm speaking to you personally, individually. I remember this uh, one time I was uh, visiting a, a church when I was in Buffalo and uh, I'd stayed up late the night before and you know, sitting in the pews and dozed off, and the next thing I knew, somebody was, you know, nudging me, and uh, I woke up, and they said, hey, the preacher's talking to you, and it wasn't like just talking to everybody. He was like, young man, <laughs> you know, pointing me out out of everybody, young man, and I said, yes, <laughs> and he says, uh, if you want to sleep, you need to do that outside, and I said, okay, <laughs> so I got up and went outside. <laughs> Hopefully that's not you today, but, uh, but he was speaking to me specifically, personally. It was, it was singling me out. And that's how you should hear the psalm, that God is singling you out. I'm, I'm talking to you. You, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions under his wings. You may seek refuge. He's speaking to you individually. This is something that should be true of me that I should think of as true for me. So what is true about me? What is true about what this God does for me? Verses 3 and 4, there are no foes that can take you out. Look at verse 3. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. That was the, uh, the tool of the professional bird catcher. You know, before shotguns and everything else, you know, uh, they'd actually uh, set a little, little snare for the birds and wait until the bird comes down and snatches it and then trap the bird. They'd actually sometimes trap a bird and then use that bird to bait other birds to come in because other birds would come to see, hey, what's going on? What's going on with my friend, I guess? And then they'd get trapped as well. I mean, that's how, how, the, how it would work. And God says, I'm the one who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. There, there, there's things that you think might be good for you <laughs> that you come down and check out. I'm the one who protects you from those things. How many of us can think about times when we thought something was good, we thought something was safe, and then found out later it wasn't. But God protected us from that thing. This, this is what God does. I protect you from the snare of the trapper. Uh, the dangers that are unseen, I, I protect you from dangers seen and unseen. The deadly pestilence, also in verse 3, uh, from the deadly pestilence, used of invisible dangers that could wipe out 
animals, people by the thousands. Actually, this, uh, the, the pestilence was used in Exodus uh, chapter 9 of the fifth plague, the, the plague of the, the pestilence that, that wiped out uh, entire uh, flocks of, of uh, you know, sheep and cattle. You know, I'm the one who protects you from those, those dangers. You know, those unseen viruses. If you've survived, it was God who allowed you to survive, right? If you've survived the virus, that was because of God. We, we, we go to him. We, we look to him as the one who delivers us. He protects you from the predators. Verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. God protects us from those who would be coming after us. You know, like the, uh, the mother hen, you know, would kind of, you know, take over and, you know, shelter her, her chicks underneath her wings. This is what God does for us when those dangers approach us. God himself is our protection. That, that didn't just happen. You know, so many times we talk about, you know, I just so happened to get out of this car accident. I just so happened, you know, to, to miss this or miss that. No, that's God that did that, right? God is the one who does that. And finally, he's said to be our shield and our buckler or bulwark. It's a protection in, in warfare. Uh, a shield is a personal defense and attack. And uh, the shield that's mentioned here uh, was the, the large body shield that you could actually hide underneath. You know, you could kind of stoop down and it would cover your entire body. And God says, I'm that kind of shield for you. I, I protect you fully. I fully protect you. There's not a foe, seen or unseen, that would be able to penetrate where God says no. When God says no, who can say yes, right? When God says no, you can't touch that person. Just like with Job, right? Remember that? He had to ask permission. Can I, can I touch Job? And, and, and God says, you can go this further and no, no more. No more. God is the one who protects us. And that's what we find in this God. There's no... No, no, no foe that can, can take you out. There's also uh, no uh, fear that can overtake you. Look at verses 5 and 6. When the psalm says, uh, you will not be afraid here, it's actually in the form of a command. You know, you will not be afraid. It's not just like, oh, this won't happen to you. It's like, no, you will not be afraid. Like, do not be afraid. It's kind of the, the same thing that's uh, uh, spoken of in the, the Ten Commandments back in uh, 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 Exodus uh, chapter uh, 20. You, know, you shall have no other gods before me. It's actually, you will. You will have no other gods before me. It's, it's not just saying, it's stating a fact. It's saying that this is what you will not do. You know, like you can make a command in more than, than one way, right? It's like, you know, you can say, don't do this, or you will not do this, right? And this is what God is saying. You will not be afraid. It's actually a command here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, says, bring it, bring it to me. We don't need to fear because our fears can be brought before the Lord. It was actually a tradition that um, demons would stalk in the night. And uh, God says, you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be afraid of what happens in the night, the terror by night. Even the, the darkness is not dark to God, Psalm 139 and verse 12. Fear of the arrow by the day, another picture of warfare. Don't be afraid of war. Pestilence that stalks in the darkness. Don't be afraid of the epidemic. The destruction that lays waste at noon was used of uh, natural calamities, destruction. And any of these things can overtake us. And he says, you shouldn't be fearful of these things. There's, there's nothing that you need to, to be fearful of because I'm the God that will give you aid. There's not a fear that can overtake you. You will not be afraid. Do not be afraid of these things. This is your God commanding you not to be afraid of these things. There's not a fall that can take you down. Look at verses 7 down to 12. Verse 7 and 8, it speaks about the, the recompense of the, the wicked. You know, and here God makes a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. A thousand may fall 
at your right side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Actually, uh, uh, reminds us of Genesis 18, uh, where you know, Abraham came before the Lord and he says, you know, surely you won't slay the righteous with the wicked, will you? And God knows how to separate out his people from even judgment. God knows how to spare the righteous from judgment. Verse 10, no evil will befall you. General word for misery, distress. No plague will come near your tent. In verse 10, again, affliction. Verse 11, he says to those who, who trust, uh, he says to those who, who trust in him. In verse 11, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means the angels are in foot patrol. <laughs> we, we actually have spiritual beings that have been sent out by God as ministers towards us, towards believers. You don't know how many times you've been spared from a danger because God has actually sent an angel to protect you. You have no idea. I mean, and some of us may need to to pay our angels a little bit more. I mean, we've put them in overtime, right? And it's like, you know, that guy's like especially troublesome. But, But even striking our foot against a stone, God says that there's been times where you haven't even stubbed your toe because I said no. I'm not going to allow him to do that. That, that, It's mind-blowing when we really think about how many dangers God has actually spared us from. And if you ever experience any danger, it's not because God's security system has failed. If you ever experience any danger, it's because God has a plan for that intruder. Do you understand that? That if I ever experience anything, it's not because God's system, you know, kind of went bananas and, you know, somehow it's not working today. No, if you've ever experienced any danger in your life, it's because God has said, you know, no to this, no to that, no to that, but I'm going to allow this one to get through. And it's by design. And that's something that we can trust in, that God has designed our trials for us. He specifically designed those things. And you can be confident that there's nothing sneaking past the guard station. Whatever enters is by his permission. Job teaches us that, right? Same God, same protection. That's what we receive. Also, there's no failure that can take you under. Look at verse 13. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample down. And in uh, each case, the believer subdues even the the savage beast here. And I believe that uh, we're talking about physical animals uh, right here. It's it's, uh, not just a a metaphor. Uh, We actually find that uh, uh, David was uh, spared from from these beasts in uh, uh, 1 Samuel 17 and verse 36. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Uh, And these were real dangers in the wilderness. Lions were real dangers in the wilderness. And again, if you look at the context in Psalm 90, uh, speaking about the wilderness, uh, the the wanderings in the wilderness, and Psalm 91 following right up behind that, it's very likely that what we're talking about are real physical dangers that they would have experienced. Lions, cobras, all these things were true. A grown lion was fierce, but the young lion was, who was in his prime was full of strength and dangerous. So these were real dangers that these people faced. It's no accident as well that Satan is also spoken of as a roaring what? Lion. <laughs> real dangers. Real dangers we face. Spiritual dangers, physical dangers. And we have protection on every possible side because we have our God who we find our shelter in. Have you found your shelter in this kind of God. And if you haven't found your shelter in this kind of God, where else would you go? Where else would you go? And then uh, lastly, in, lastly, in verse, verses 14 to 16, 
We have this personal pronouncement of protection from God. Look at verse 14. It says, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. And this, this, this is the, the point in the psalm where it's like, like you know, uh, the, the psalmist has been writing for a period of time. And we understand that all scripture is given, you know, under the inspiration of God. All scripture is inspired by God. But it's like at this point, God says, you know what, I'm going to, to pick up the pen and write directly. These are words coming directly from God. All, all of it is inspired, but this is where God gives a, a direct address. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. God is speaking here. Because he has loved me, I will do the deliverance. Completely moves the human instrument at this point out of the way in a sense. And he says, I'm going to talk here. God says, I'll, I'll talk. Because he has loved me, the one who trusts in me, because he has loved me, I will deliver that one. He's the one who delivers us. Why does he deliver, deliver us? He says, because he's loved me. Because he's loved me. And that word that's uh, used for love here is a rare word in the Old Testament. It's a, a word that speaks of a, a passion for God, strong desire for God. In uh, James 1 and verse 12, it speaks about the crown of life that's promised to those who love him. 1 Corinthians 8 and 3, it speaks about if anyone, is, if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Ephesians 6.24, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. Believers are known for their love for God. And he says, because he loves me, I will deliver him. I, I deliver those who love me. And those who love me are those who have a relationship with me. Those who love me are those who trust me, right? Those who've placed their faith in me. Because he loved me, I will deliver him. And I will set him securely on high. It's those who know him who he set securely on high. He says, I will set him securely on high. Why? Because he has known my name, I will set him securely on high. To know his, his name is a, a phrase that speaks about relationship. Because you have a relationship with me. You know, to, to know God is to, to have a relationship with him. It's, it's more than just knowing about him. It's to, to enter into relationship with God. Psalm 9 and verse 10, it says, To those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And as believers today, we've entered into a relationship with God because we know him, because we love him. I love what uh, Jeremiah 9 says. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That's what we boast about, that I know the Lord. And finally, God says that this protection is offered to those who call upon his name. Look at verses uh, 15 and 16. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. This is a, a promise that God gives to those who belong to him. And uh, actually, this same, uh, same psalm was quoted by David over in 2 Samuel 22. If, uh, if you uh, thought you had some family problems, you should just take a look at the life of David. <laughs> His father-in-law was trying to, to kill him. And this is what he says, I, I will call upon the Lord. I'll call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I will be saved from my enemies. My, my, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. He's the one who called upon the Lord, he says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God, and from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry for help came into his ears. It's a reminder that God hears, that God answers, that God delivers. 
And this psalm makes a reference to, to even the physical deliverance. He will call upon me. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him, honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him. And before we uh, turn from this, why don't we uh, flip over to, to Romans chapter 8. Because I want, want, just want to remind you that, uh, that we have a similar promise that's given to us in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. Take a look at verse uh, 31. I love this. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 31. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to every danger, toil, and snare mentioned here. Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the same kind of promise we have over in Psalm 90. What, what, what kind of danger could separate you from this kind of love? From, from, from the, the God who, who you found shelter in. Back in Psalm 91, the, the children of Israel were promised that God would be with them in trouble, God would not leave them. God promised to rescue them. He promised to honor them. And this is the same kind of promise that we receive through the, the New Testament, that even our momentary affliction is light compared to the eternal weight of glory, which is far beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians four seventeen, And God promised that we would see his salvation, that God would honor us. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. There's a rescue that's promised to us in God. My question for you is, do you understand the kind of protection that God is offering to you? That God gives to us, that God grants to us, because we're found in him, because we trust in him, and that whatever danger does come to us, it's only by the permission of God, that God is the one who allows that to come to us. But even when we do experience those dangers, just as Psalm 90 spoke of the, the dangers and the uh, those who are dying in the wilderness, that even then we're still dwelling in the same place, hasn't changed. Whether we experience danger or not, it hasn't changed where our dwelling place is, that we're still found in God. If you've come to this God, we have a place that we will dwell in forever. As uh, we find in the, in the psalm, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? This, we found a, an eternal place of, of rest. But if you haven't found rest in, in this God, there's no place that you can go to for safety. You understand that? If you haven't found rest in this God, there's no place that you'll be able to find safety. You find in uh, Luke 13 that there were people who sought safety outside of the Lord and only tried to come to the Lord too late. In Luke 13, verse 25, it says, Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. 
Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. What is he saying? You have no relationship with me. You didn't come to know me. You don't love me. I don't know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught us in our streets. And he'll say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. What, what is Jesus saying? Jesus isn't saying that I, I didn't, I, I never knew who you were. I, I never was aware that you existed. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you, you never entered into a relationship with me. And now it's too late. The door's already been shut. And then he falls up and says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. If you don't find safety in this God, there's no place of safety that you'll ever find. But if you found safety in this God, there's nothing that can touch you that he has not already allowed. And even when that does touch you, You've never been dislodged from your dwelling place. And that's, that's, a, that's a comfort that we can find, that we found our final place of rest. And that final place of rest is found in, in him. It's trusting in him. Remember when I, was, uh, I met with uh, Kevin and, and Janice uh, yesterday, and I remember speaking with, with Janice, and uh, you know, she spoke about the experience that she had when she was um, about to, to have a stroke and you know, she kind of felt things shutting down, but she says, in that moment, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. And why, why was she not afraid? It was because she found her dwelling place in God. <laughs> her dwelling place was in God, and that's not going to change. It doesn't change. And even if the Lord decides to take Janice home to be with him, that still doesn't change. I, I hope you understand that, <laughs> that if you're a believer and if you found a dwelling place in God... You found eternal security. Eternal security is found in a relationship with him. That's what Janice has found. That's what Kevin has found. Even today, even through, through, through tears, he's still trusting in the Lord. And that's where we can be found in the, in, the, in the same way. We can be found trusting in God regardless of what happens to us. Now, I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying there, there's, there's not sorrow in that. But there's still a trust and a confidence, a bedrock confidence that we have that I've trusted my life into the hands of God and if my life is there my life can never be taken he will never leave me nor forsake me but the life that we've been given uh, when uh, uh, John uh, 5 speaks about uh, eternal life speaks about a gift that's that's already been given to the believer you've been given eternal life like right now as a possession you have eternal life it's been given to you eternal life and if you've been given that eternal life, there's nothing in the world that can take it. And that's what we read about over in Romans chapter 8. Like, who, who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? It's, it's like the believer is indestructible. I remember, uh, I believe it was uh, George Whitfield who said that uh, I'm invincible until the Lord decides to take me home. <laughs> and that's just so true, isn't it? Until the Lord says, okay, it's, it's time to come home. You are invincible. There is nothing that can take you down. And when the Lord says it's time to, to come home, we're still found in that place of security because we've always been found in him. Amen. I pray that, uh, that you understand that. I pray that you found your dwelling place in God. And uh, when that day comes, you know, who, who knows when that, that day will be. But when that day comes, you can say that, that it is well with my soul. Amen. It is well with my soul. I'm actually going to ask uh, Miles if uh, 
know you had another song in mind, but uh, it is well with my soul is for today, all right? You got that? Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you, Lord, and we thank you so much uh, for uh, this psalm. We thank you for the, the promise that it gives us. Father, not a promise that, that we'll never experience any tragedy in our life. That's not what Psalm 91 speaks about. But Psalm 91 does speak about uh, the dwelling place that we have in, in God. And that everything that we've ever been spared in this life, it's been because God has spared us from it. And Father, I pray that, that every time that we've experienced a, a, a healing from any kind of disease, any time that we've been spared any kind of accident, uh, any time that we've been at, the, at a different place where we're supposed to be and, and found out that there was a danger that befell people who were there, Father, every time that we've missed that, Father, it's been because of you. It's be- because you're our dwelling place. And Father, even the times that we have experienced tragedy in our life, our Father, that that hasn't moved us from our secure position that we find in God. Remind us of these things, God. That when we do experience sickness, disease, when we experience even death of, of loved ones, Father, I pray that you would remind us that, that even those things don't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That the love that we've been given is an indestructible love. And the security that we have is eternal. And it can't be moved. We cannot be shaken because our faith is found in you. Father, remind us of where we've placed our trust. And that if we've placed our trust in you, that we will never be disappointed. And Father, I pray that it is well with our souls. And I pray that uh, if there's anyone who's here who does not know your son, Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that they will not leave here today until it is well with their souls, until they can sing with us the song that we're about to sing, that it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.